On this special concert series edition of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Rick Wakeman. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this special concert series edition of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friend Ken Gregory and friend of the Palaver, Ken Fuller, as we discuss his recent experience with seeing Rick Wakeman live. Ken, welcome back. Glad you're, uh, you're willing to help us out again. Mm-hmm. I just pulled up the set list. So you're looking like, at the set list. I'm I'm kind of drooling. So let's get into this. Yeah, <laughs> Holy you got to get you got to get those expressions on air. Go for it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. So so Ken Fuller, thank you, thank you for joining us again to to clue us in on Rick Wakeman. Now this uh, we're we're recording this almost a month after the fact. Uh, real life has gotten sort of on top of us, but um, so you had seen. Rick perform at the Miller Symphony Hall in Allentown on October 8th. I've never been to the Miller Symphony Hall in Allentown. Maybe tell us a little bit about the venue then before we even get into the whole thing. Lovely venue. I'd never been there myself either. Uh, It's an old symphony hall. I believe it's 19th century building. Oh, cool. uh, Located in the center of Allentown, which an Allentown is not a place I'm familiar with either. Um, but uh, nice, very nice venue, beautifully uh, maintained. Uh, and my friend Mike and I uh, unusually uh, stumped up the money for a box, which uh, you generally don't get in, in rock venues. Anyway. Right, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Not, no, that's not usually an option. <laughs> no, absolutely not. We were a bit like uh, Statler and Waldorf in the uh, Muppets. Love it. Love it. Wow. And uh, there we were sitting there, just the two of us in the box and kind of vaguely hovering over the stage. It was really close. It was, it was, it was great. Now the venue, I'm not sure how many it holds, but it was only about half full, which was a, a shame. Really? Um, well, I mean, Allentown's uh, kind of a weird place to see Rick Wakeman, but. Yeah, I, yes. Uh, it's not, I mean, I know Philadelphia has a huge yes following. Right. But uh, that's another hour away or so. Or so. But it, this was not a rock concert. Uh, and, and definitely what was not a progressive rock night. Right. Um, when we arrived, there's just a grand piano sitting in the middle of the stage. Nothing else. Um, cool. And that was what he was going to play when he wasn't doing his stand-up routine. <laughs> Um, but it was uh, it was a lovely venue lovely venue that's great so it it really was just rick and a piano then yep absolutely that is... now when he came on sorry go no ahead. i was just gonna say that is phenomenal i mean I, i'm still a little little ill that i didn't get to to see him on this tour but there was music to start with you know, recorded music and he came on as the music was playing to play the opening number, which I'm sure I won't pronounce correctly, but it was Paschal, Paschal Bell's Canon. Yeah. And he joined in with it. Oh, uh, really? As the music was playing. So it was orchestral music and he joined in with a piano. He came on stage and joined in, uh, to play that piece. Um, so that's how the, uh, the concert opened, uh, to, of course, rapturous applause as he, uh, as he came on stage. Um, and then after he played that, 
he stood up. He had a, a microphone stand there. He grabbed the microphone and uh, started to talk about what the evening was going to be about. And basically he said, I'm going to tell some stories and I'm going to play some music that uh, I'm known for or that I love. And uh, some of my stories will be true and some will be less true. And I'll leave it to you <laughs> to decide how much of that you think is true and how much is, isn't. And, and that kind of set the tone, if you like. Oh, was, some will uh, be profane, excellent. some will be less profane. Oh. No, there wasn't too much of that, but there was definitely some uh, <laughs> slightly risque. I have one story that I absolutely remember, which I shall tell you about. Uh, in a minute, which which I thought was brilliantly funny, um, but there were a lot of laughs all night. And he kind of walks around the stage and uh, t- tells these stories, and he sits down and plays. and And his playing was was beautiful. It was uh, it couldn't be anybody else but Rick Wakeman. If you if you were just listening and not, and you couldn't see him, you would know. That's Rick Wakeman playing that. Well, before we, <laughs> before we get too far away from the conversation of the venue, let's just say <laughs> that um, Philly as a yes destination and, and the surrounding areas are probably just as strong as ever. It's just that Rick managed to saturate the area pretty well. So, so you would have seen him on October 8th at uh, Miller Symphony Hall in Allentown. Uh, he went up to Englewood, New Jersey, not terribly far away for the 10th. And then for the 11th, he was very close to Philadelphia in Collingswood, uh, the theater that you're familiar with, Joe. Yep. From um, the John Anderson Thousand Hands tour. So w- w- we, we we had so many choices that we, we could not necessarily fill all of the venues. And, 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 and this was simultaneous with Progstock. So I, I was I, I was not free to see Rick. Right. So I, I've got to know, when, when Rick performs by himself with just him and a piano, what does he wear? Is there a cape involved or not? <laughs> no, there was no cape, no sparkly uh, cape at all. He wore a, uh, a middle, you know, longer jacket, three-quarter length jacket, I guess. And, oh, okay, uh, cool. Uh, yeah, just uh, as I said, walked around, very, you know, pretty casual. He had sneakers on because um, we were kind of looking down on him, you right? Know, yeah, uh, from from our box. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, no cape, no, I, no, no, no synthesizer, no banks of keyboards or anything like that. So I, I have seen acts like this perform in symphony halls. Two notable examples show up. And actually, um, back in the day, I saw Yes with Asia back when Asia had the original Asia had reformed and they were doing that. They performed in Fort Worth in the Symphony Hall, which was kind of a weird place to see them, you know, as a full band. And then I've seen Tori Amos several times. And one of the times I saw her and she she performs with just her and a piano. Um, I saw her at the the relatively new symphony uh, hall when that's i guess it's not a symphony hall i don't know exactly what the hell you'd call it but um the, the one of the new performance halls in dallas and i i was sitting in a box for for that show as well so i i understand your feeling of of you know elevation if you will being in the box uh <laughs> <laughs> looking down on on the uh on the performer it's, it's quite fun 
It, it, it was fun, yes. Yeah. Now, um, you know, with a, if you, if you go to a dramatic performance, you know, a theater show where the box isn't necessarily the best place to sit because you can't quite see around the corner. Right. Yeah. But, but if, but if you're just watching somebody sitting at a grand piano in the middle of the stage, it was perfect. But exactly. That's, that's exactly the kind of time to do that. Um, very, very cool. So I, I'm now again, I, as Ken mentioned, there was sort of a lot going on and I, I really, up until just this moment, I, I knew Rick was touring, but I, I hadn't really, you know, gotten into what was what he was doing or anything else, which is why I've asked some of the questions that I've had. And so while we're sitting here prepping for this and I pull up the set list and my jaw literally drops with some of the tunes that he played. I mean, so it starts out with this uh, Patchel Bell's Canon. And then it, he goes into Strawberry Fields Forever and While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which is... Uh, uh, I mean, I, I remember being in elementary school and my music teacher loved the Beatles. We'd always end up singing Beatles songs in music <laughs> class. And it, it never occurred to me at the time, but it, it sort of it planted the seed in my brain, which, which, which grew and, and eventually blossomed. And it was, it was actually really funny. Just this past weekend, I, I hadn't listened to the Beatles in, you know, quite some time, at least not purposefully. And I was, I was heading out to a sandwich shop to get some sandwiches for the, to watch the, uh, the football game on Sunday with my crew. And, and I walk in and they, and there were Beatles playing. I don't even remember what song it was. Um, and I was just like, Oh, this is great. We should do an episode on the Beatles just because. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, so when I open up this and I see Strawberry Fields and while my guitar gently weeps, I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. But of course, he wasn't even done because if I if I peek ahead down to the bottom of the list, he finished the main set with Help and Eleanor Rigby. And Eleanor Rigby is oh my that song just melts the my brain out of my head. So mm. I I can only imagine what it's like in that environment, in the box, watching and hearing Rick perform this on a piano. It, it sounds sublime. Strawberry Fields and uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps were played uh, relatively straight, if you like. Uh, he, he kind of medleyed them together, but, but he played them as you know them. The last two that you mentioned, Help and Eleanor Rigby, he played the two in the style of two different composers, classical composers. Oh, beautiful. Now, unfortunately, I can't remember what those were, the, the <laughs> composers were, but it made the, the songs quite different and, and, and showed, uh, you know, how talented he is, of course, that he could play, take something and play it in the, that we all know and then play it in the style of, that was written by somebody else. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, they were well done. But I think Strawberry Fields and While My Guitar Gently Weeps were kind of there as a kind of get the show going introduction. Sure. Um, because he did, I don't recall a story before those, but he certainly had a story uh, leading into the next uh, tune he played, which was Morning Has Broken, which of course was the song he played uh, with Cat Stevens. Right. So I guess I didn't realize that he had played on that. I'm guessing he he was uh, he played on, on the actual song that we all know and love, right? Yes, he was a session musician at the time, I okay, think. Yeah, uh, and he was invited 
the story he, that he told was he was invited to come in uh, by, I think it was Paul Samuel Smith, who was Cat Stevens' producer at the time. I think I've got that right. And uh, Cat said, I want to play this hymn, Morning Has Broken. And, uh, and Rick said, well, do you have the music? And he said, well, no, but I have the hymn. <laughs> so, okay. So what do you want me to do? He said, well, let's just play it. So they played it, and he sang, and Cat Stevens sang from the hymn book. And uh, Paul Samuel Smith apparently said, well, that was great, but it was only a minute and a half, and we need uh, three minutes for a single. So what are we going to do? So Rick said, well, maybe let's do it again. So repeat the whole song again. So, okay. So they did it again. I said, well, okay, well, now we're up to two minutes, ten seconds. So, you know, it's still not quite long enough. What do you? So Rick said, "Well, maybe I'll play a little bit of an introduction." And he, you know, said, "I did some twiddling about, and we did an introduction." He said, "Ah, oh, that's great. Okay, well now we're up to <laughs> two two thirty. <laughs> so well, he said, "Well, tell you what, look, I'll repeat the uh, introduction in the middle." So you know, he did did the middle. All right. Well, we're nearly there. That's two fifty. He said, "Okay, well I'll add it at the end." And they got to three minutes, 10 seconds or whatever it is. And uh, he said, and that's how it went. Uh, and that's what we recorded. He said, <laughs> so some years later, an artist comes along and says, I, you know, I really want to redo Cat Stevens' Morning Has Broken, but Rick, I can't find the sheet music to be able to reproduce what you did. And he said, that's because I never wrote it down. <laughs> and he said, well what, it, well, what did you do? He said, well, I did a little bit of twiddling at the beginning. I did a little bit more twiddling <laughs> in the middle, and I did some twiddling at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it was. Uh, and, of course, uh, that, that, that's the song we know. Dang. And when you know that it's Rick Wakeman, now when you hear it again, you'll go, oh, yeah, of course it is. Who else could it be? <laughs> I, yeah, I, re I remember when I um... – you know, when I was I was growing up and I was becoming musically cognizant, and it was it was well after the fact. But when you when you hear that Stevie Ray Vaughan played on David Bowie's Let's Dance, it, it never occurred to me until someone told me. And, and like you said, once you hear that, you're like, oh, duh! It it has to be, you know. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's just the solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the iconic, yeah, yeah screaming solo. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, so so that's a theme with this tour, not just with one song. Uh, uh, he did Space Oddity as well. Yes, he did, and and Life on Mars, and and with those before those, he talked very warmly about David Bowie. He talked about him being a huge influence on uh, his musical career. He said he had great ideas. And uh, he said he lived next uh, next door to him for five years or so. He said they were great friends. And, and of course, um, Life on Mars, he talked about particularly that, uh, you know, uh, David asked him to come in and play on it. And he said, well, you know, what do you want me to play? And he said, well, play what you think you should play. So Rick did that. And he said, was that OK? And he said, yep, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said the lesson David said to him was always surround yourself with with musicians that you trust because that way you know they will play what you want. Mm. And, uh, it was interesting, but of course, so he's on both of those. Uh, he plays the Mellotron on Space Oddity. He plays on Life on Mars too. And he did a, he did a charity single after David passed away. He did a charity single of Life on Mars, 
Uh, and he talked a bit about that as well because it was recorded from a BBC radio program. I saw a, I think it was a BBC documentary on David Bowie once. And they were, you know, they were talking to different musicians who had played on the different albums and, and they, they spent a little bit of time talking with Rick. And it was, it was really fascinating to hear Rick speak so highly of, of Bowie's compositional skills and the way that he would write that was unexpected. And he, there seemed to be a, a genuine appreciation, uh, you know, for him, which I, I just thought was, was really cool. Um, cause I, I had known that, that Rick had played on, on, um, on some of Bowie's stuff, but I, I don't know that I ever really expected to see Rick Wakeman pop up in a documentary about, you know, someone else. It was, it was unexpected and very, very cool. Yes. He, he had a great affection for him. It was clear. We, we jumped over one here yeah, we, uh, we, in the we, set list. We jumped over two of the Catherines. Yes. The two Catherines, Catherine Howard and Catherine of Aragon, they just, went so well together. It was great to hear something from Six Wives because, as you can already tell from talking through the set list, it wasn't an evening of Rick Wakeman's Wakeman. music right, by, yeah. by any means. Um, but So this was the first time he played something that he had written. They were just really nice to hear. I mean, you were kind of watching him and listening and, and somewhat in awe, really. It was just beautiful music. So is it is it different then when Rick is playing his own stuff versus some of these covers? I mean, because obviously when, when he does his own stuff, he, how shall I say this? He, he's as Rick Wakeman as he can be, right? So is it, <laughs> it, it, based on what you just said, it sounded like there was, you know, some sort of uh, discernible difference at that point. I think just because they were, they were very familiar Rick Wakeman tracks but uh, there was no doubt, like like I said earlier, you, you, next time you hear Cat Stevens' Morning is Broken, you'll know that's Rick Wakeman. From that point on, it was very much his music, Yeah, I felt. At some point, he told this great story, which I, I don't remember where it fit in, but I, I have to try and tell you this because it was such a funny moment. I had the, the audience uh, in uproar. He said he, um, he was in the habit of going to his local pub on a Saturday night and then going for a curry afterwards, <laughs> which is certainly not, not an unusual thing to do in Britain. Mm. Uh, uh, certainly was when I was growing up also. So uh, he did that. And uh, well, the curry was particularly um, hot one and it was having a violent effect on his stomach. So he decided that he had to leave fairly quickly. So he's driving back home and speeding and he got stopped by a uh, police and uh, <laughs> the policeman uh, was not the normal village policeman who knew rick very well and so was uh, you know get out of the car son and uh, you know did you know what you were doing and all this sort of thing it wasn't clearly wasn't going to let him off and rick was saying look you know I understand, officer. Yes, I was speeding, officer, but I really need to get home because, you know, I've had this curry and uh, some bad uh, things are going to happen. I, I, <laughs> exactly. Um, so he managed to persuade the, the, the police officer that uh, he needed to get to the toilet as quickly as possible. So they knocked on a, you know, a house and, uh, the woman answers the door and says, you know, I have this man here. He really needs to uh, go to the bathroom. And uh, could we use your 
uh, downstairs toilet. Yes. So he goes and sits down and he said, there's this big size 10 boot gets put in the door. And the voice from the policeman says, you're not shutting that door, son. You know, he said, no, I don't know where he thought I was going to go. Did he thought I was going to try and jump out of the window? He said, but clearly he said, so there I am sitting there. He said, contemplating the world and then a copy of journey to the center of the earth appears through the gap in the door with a voice that says, could you sign this for my son? (laughs) (laughs) He said, and that used to be the end of the story. But he said, fast forward a few years he said, and there I am at one of my gigs, and I sign and I sign autographs after the gig. And, uh, you know, I'm signing them. They're coming. Photographs are coming in front of me, and I'm just signing them, passing them on. Albums are coming, signing them, passing them on. I signed this album, and a voice says, you didn't read that, did you? And he looks up, and there's this young man there. So he grabs the album back to see what it says, and it says, I am sitting on your mother's toilet as oh. I sign this. He <laughs> said, <laughs> so years later, I finally got to meet the young man whose album that was that I'd signed. So your reaction was exactly the same up. reaction. <laughs> that could be a lie. I don't uh, care. It's great. <laughs> it could be. But, but yes, as you said, you have to decide that the percentage of truth in his stories. But I mean, it was brilliantly funny. Brilliantly funny. Oh, that is too much. And, and he's good with the, yeah, with the timing, too. So I'm sure when he's delivering these stories, it, 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 it works really well. Oh, way better than me. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so the next track was Sweet Georgia Brown. And that was a lot you know look on the face of it looks a bit strange but he talked about his father as being uh into jazz music and this was one of his father's favorite songs uh and rick's introduction to music was very much listening to his father's jazz records so he he played uh sweet georgia brown just a couple of minutes as a kind of uh, uh in honor of his father that's great i love it so that was nice yeah yeah and then we finally got some yes music a combination or medley of the meeting and you and I and wondrous stories. Yeah, that's um, not a bad little medley. No, it's very nice, very nice medley. He told a, uh, I don't remember the story, but he did do a great impersonation of John Anderson. Oh, did he really? <laughs> yes. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. He, it, went, it went something along the lines of Rick would say, "Well, John, uh, what do you what do you think about this?" He said, "I don't know, Rick." Oh no! Oh. <laughs> and and it, it, again, it had the, the audience uh, in, in hysterics. But I, those two get on uh, wonderfully well. I saw the two together uh, on stage uh, a few years ago uh, oh, in the, uh, Stroudsburg, were, Pennsylvania. When they were doing the the Living Tree. That's right. Yes, exactly. Oh. Yes, that was funny, and and they were very much John Anderson, the straight man. And Rick, the uh, the the, fun, the funny guy, and Rick would even interrupt him. And you know, John's trying to do you know some serious things, and and Rick would say something funny, and he'd have John in hysterics. <laughs> I mean, in, in in many ways, you can't think of two people that are more unlike each other. Yeah, that they clearly get on very well. Uh, 
Rick has often said, I think, you know, if if John isn't in yes, it's not yes. And uh, so he's a big supporter of, of John's, but does do a good impersonation of him, I must say. So then they finished up the set, or he finished up the set with the, the help and Eleanor Rigby that we already discussed. Very, very cool. Yep. Yep. Now, the encore, he barely went off. I mean, he kind of walked off stage <laughs> and turned around and walked straight back on again. Oh, seriously? And I made a comment about, <laughs> yeah, he said, oh, you know, encore, this is crazy, isn't it? Why do people do this? I don't know. He said, you know, I could stand back there for a minute and you'd all clap and I'd still come back on. So why don't I just do it anyway? And he went straight into Merlin <laughs> the Magician, which is uh, uh, something he's uh, extremely well known for, Merlin. That's a, a well-known track. And that, that was... Uh, that was very well done. I bet that would be interesting to hear on a piano as opposed to the original composition. It didn't lose anything uh, at I, I'm all. I'm sure it I didn't. Don't think. It's just different, No, right? it, it, yeah, yeah. But uh, he certainly knows his way around a grand piano. It was, it was, <laughs> it was, it was great to listen to, great to, and great to watch as well. Yeah, um, so from your vantage point, could you, could you, I mean, were you positioned so you could see him playing, or were you sort of like on the other side of the piano? No, unfortunately, we're a little bit the other side, uh, so we weren't behind him, if you like. Right. So yeah. if you're behind him, you could have looked looked over his shoulders and maybe seen him playing. We were the other side, so couldn't. Nevertheless, it was a, it was a great uh, vantage point. Yeah, there was um, Paul and I have a story from from back in the day. Phil Collins was touring. I think it was the But Seriously tour. For some reason, Paul and I didn't have anything going on one night and just literally on a whim bought tickets. And when you buy tickets that late, you're going to get what under normal circumstances are going to be less than desirable seats. But we ended up actually being sort of a little bit behind the stage, but we were right behind Phil's kit, which is exactly mm. where we wanted to be. Wow. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I, I, I didn't need to see the rest of it. But every time that Phil sat down behind the kit, we saw exactly what was going on and it was perfect. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that, that's wow. great. That's great. And then I'm not familiar with the with the last track here on the uh, on the list, the Dance of a Thousand Lights. I I, I may have heard it, and I just don't remember it. But do we... I think that was on Return to the Center of the Earth. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, I'm 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 not as familiar with that. So again, if it's if it's on Return, I have heard it, but I just don't necessarily remember it. I'm the same as you there, Joe. I, I'd, I'd heard it. I wasn't familiar with it. This was another one or the other one that he played with an orchestral um, background. Oh, interesting. Uh, pre-recorded. Okay. Yeah. So he bookended the concert with orchestral on, bo- on both ends. He said something, he made some joke about uh, it, it was the karaoke version because he had the, the orchestra record it you know, <laughs> without him. Right. And so he, he was playing onto it, along to it. Overall, it was a great uh, concert about uh, with the music and the stories. Just a little short of two hours. A gentle evening, if if I uh, could kind of describe it. You know, not as I said, not a rock concert. Just beautiful evening of piano music and some uh, really quite funny stories, which uh, was really really nice. That's great. I'm disappointed I didn't get a chance to see it, especially because I think we're getting, you know, based on on things that that Rick has said. Now, Rick is somewhat famous for changing his mind as well, but he has indicated that Rick Wakeman, road performer, is 
has a limited life at this point. I don't know how many more times or opportunities we're going to have to see Rick either in a in a situation like this or with an ARW or or anything else. So not that he's, you know, not going to make music. It sounds like that's something that's that's near and dear, but he doesn't seem to enjoy being on the road that much based on, you know, what I've read and heard. No, I think that's right and that's that's probably the main reason why I, I wanted to go. I, you know, there aren't many opportunities to see some of our musical heroes. So, uh, yeah, could and, I, uh, take the chance when you can. And I'm a big fan of, you know, what we'll, we'll call rock musicians, if you will, in a different sort of environment, you know, just him and a piano. Anyone can do that. Like Tori Amos is, is famous for, you know, she has a, a band on her records, but when she performs live, it's just her and a piano. Back when I was in college, as weird as this sounds, I saw Howard Jones perform in this sort of setup with just him and a grand piano, which seems weird, but it, it worked out wonderfully. And, you know, the fact that, that Rick has such a varied career and and could could pull in sort of these, these different compositions, it, it's just phenomenal. So... I am extraordinarily jealous, and but I do very much thank you, Ken, for agreeing to come on here and, and share your thoughts. Ken Gregory, you've got something. Oh, my inner Kevin Mulrine is screaming right now. I wanna <laughs> I wanna I wanna get in for the weeds here. We gotta do this, okay? What what Rick covered in this concert is very pivotal to yes history, okay? September nineteen seventy-one, fragile is recorded. November 1971, Fragile is released. And the two tracks we spoke of, Life on Mars first in December 71, Morning Has Broken released in 72 January. This is a magical period for Rick. So we should <laughs> kind of pay homage to the concentrated genius that is happening in this particular historical period. Well, and, and we've we've that is great. We've talked about that before, though, right? There was there was so much going on here, and it's amazing that Rick joins. Yes, is doing all of that, and he still has these session gigs on top of it. I don't have a a clear concept of what it must have been like, you know, to be able to consume in real time all this music as it's coming out. You know, we, everyone talks about, you know, the golden age and everything else, but, you know, to your point, here's empirical evidence that this was true. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. All right. Anything else on, on Rick Wakeman? I was just going to say the first time I saw Rick was at the Crystal Palace Bowl. And the Crystal Palace Bowl is a bit shaped like the Hollywood Bowl, but it had a lake in front of it. Uh, and at the time, they had inflatable dinosaurs uh, fighting on the lake during Journey to when he played Journey to the Century of the Earth. <laughs> to put this in context, this was in 1974, so it was. Uh, <laughs> I suppose it was different back then. Oh, oh my goodness. But, uh, I can't think of two more different contexts that I've seen Rick Wakeman in, you know, <laughs> with his with dinosaurs and dry ice on the lake and these of course, dinosaurs yes. fighting. And, and then in the Miller Symphony Hall in Allentown, there's this perfect bookends. Ken, I think we need to put the Blaver Research Department to see if we can get some photographs of these inflatable dinosaurs. <laughs> 
I sure we'll, we'll put them with the the rush rabbits. It'll be great. That's right. We we still we still owe people pictures of the rush bouncing rabbits or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's. If awesome. I find any, I'll send I'll send them to you. Yeah, please do. We'll, we'll have to we'll have to look for that though. That that is awesome. All right, so so Ken Fuller, thank you again for for being our our man out in the streets and sharing your thoughts on this most excellent concert with us. We, we really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep you on speed dial for the next time an opportunity like this arises. <laughs> Thanks right. very much, guys. Appreciate it. Cool. Loved it. We hope you've enjoyed this discussion of Rick Wakeman's concert experience. As always, we welcome, solicit, and look forward to your feedback, your input, your thoughts, your questions, and your comments. You can reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. have a traveling job with Barclays Bank in England and I remember we went to Nottingham in the Midlands and there was a pub there where you could get four pints for a pound so 25 pence so what's that today about 30 cents wow of of good warm English beer uh, and <laughs> it was just, just stuck in my head it's, you know like incredible amount of beer for a stupidly small amount of money uh, <laughs> but not anymore oh my goodness <laughs>